0: Praise the Lord. Strangers and pilgrims, in this series of messages that I ask the question, who are you? It's the title of the series, who are you? And as I've said each week, we all like to answer with our name, I am John. John. I am my mother's son, my father's son, my grandparents' grandchild, cousin, niece, brother, whatever fits the particular situation. I am, if somebody says, who are you? I could say, I'm a preacher. I'm a minister. But we're more than that. We're more than what we think we are. In the series, we learned that the Bible gives us direct and indirect ideas about who we are. Believers are temples of the living God. We are temples that God resides in. And we're also God's children. And that's hard for our minds to to put that together. Like, how can we be a temple and at the same time be a child of God? God lives in us, and yet we are His offspring, spiritually. We're those who endure the race that is set before us. We have been given parameters for running this race in this life, and we run that race, enduring the trials, enduring the hardships of this life that we live. We season the world like salt with the soul-preserving gospel. That's part of what we do, and that's who we are. We are those who season the world like salt. We're authorized. To do everything that our Father has told us to do, and everything Christ commanded, even heal the sick, even cast out demons. And I know that's a scary thing for some people, but that's what the Scripture shows. We are authorized to do everything Christ commanded. We are the light of the world. And when we think about that, if somebody says, who are you? You can say, I'm light in the world. But are you? You really have to check yourself because you are to be light in this world, but then you have to ask yourself, am I being light in the world? We renounce the hidden things of darkness. We are those who renounce the hidden things of darkness. We don't embrace them. And sadly, a lot of the church today has embraced the hidden things of darkness instead of renouncing We're baptized baptizers. Everyone who is baptized into Christ is authorized to baptize others that they bring into the kingdom of God. You don't need some special guy like me. I'm not trying to put myself out of things to do. I've got lots of things to do. But. If you lead someone to the Lord, you draw someone out of the darkness into the light, you bring people into the kingdom of God, you are authorized to put them under the water in the likeness of Christ's death and raise them in the likeness of his resurrection. You're authorized to do that. Maybe nobody ever taught you that, but you are authorized. And we are those who ask. Said, You have not because you ask not. And our Lord said many times, Ask and you will receive. We learned about this last week. And today we're going to answer the question, Who are you? And the answer is found in God's word that we are strangers in a strange land. We are pilgrims making our pilgrimage here for Him. And we are ambassadors. As ambassadors, we are strangers and we are pilgrims. So we're going to take a look into uh, Hebrews chapter 11. But before we do, I want to pray again. Father, we we lift up to you each one that's going to hear this word. And God, we, we lift up all of those who are in positions of authority throughout this country. Regardless of their role most especially in the local region, Lord, in our home communities, throughout the county of Butler, throughout this commonwealth of Pennsylvania and these United States. We ask, Father, that you would bless them. On this day, this first day of the new year on the Hebrew calendar, we ask, Lord, that you would pour blessing upon all who are in positions of authority. And we pray, Father, that you would clean this country of its wickedness. We pray in Christ's name that you would be with us as we attend to your word. Please examine us and show us where we need you. Please fill each one who hears this message with the knowledge of your will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And I ask that you would guide us to be strengthened in the power of your might. Please open our minds, Lord, to receive wisdom and understanding and eliminate all distractions. Please erase any human teachings and traditions that oppose your word. Let us walk in Your power and Your authority. Draw us near to You, Father. Your Word tells us if we draw near to You, You will draw near to us. Help us to cleanse our hands and purify our hearts. Let us not be double-minded, I pray. I ask You to wash over us with Your Holy Spirit-filled Word and make us people of love for You and our neighbor. Because Your Word tells us When our Lord was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He was very clear. It is to love you completely and to love our neighbor as ourself. Please pour your spirit upon all who are within the sound of my voice and grant to your servant by your spirit that with all boldness I may speak your word through the name of our Lord and Savior, the one we call Jesus, Yahushua. I pray this in his mighty name. And all of God's people said, Amen. We're going to open our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. I had the page number, but I didn't put it in my notes, so we're going to hunt it. It's right by James. James is on one side, Second Thessalonians on the other. Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to go to page 1843. Page 1843, and the Bible's there in your seats. Hebrews chapter eleven. We're going to read the first thirteen verses. I'd like to read the whole chapter, and maybe when you get home, you can do that because it speaks of faith. It's called the, it's nicknamed the Hall of Faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of the things you don't see. And these that we're going to read about all died in faith, not having received the promises. They had the promises, but they didn't receive them. There's a place in Scripture that tells us to rejoice because these ones wanted to see. Those who came before us wanted to see the things that we're seeing today. We're living in those perilous times that were spoken of in Paul's writings. But today we're not going to focus on that. We're going to look at the fact that we are strangers and pilgrims. Hebrews chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Think about that. What we see was made by things that were invisible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts. And through it, he being dead, still speaks, by faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found, because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. And what it doesn't say there is it took him 120 years to do it by faith. Noah built an ark by faith. He was a stranger. He was a pilgrim. Now, most of us aren't going to live to be 120, much less have a project that lasts 120 years. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. You see, that's the walk of faith. We follow in the footsteps of Christ. We don't worry about the map. We don't worry about a compass. We're not concerned about somebody giving us directions, and we certainly aren't going to listen to some electronic device that tells us how to get through this life. How many of you ever used one of those, uh, what are they called, GPS, and it tells you to go someplace and you know that's not right? I'm going someplace that's 10 miles away, and it wants to send me 200 miles away. I think the enemy of souls controls that thing sometimes. That's not of God. (laughs) By faith, Abraham dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country. Dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise, for he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Is he waiting for an earthly city? Is he waiting for a heavenly city? See, so he's a stranger. He's a foreigner. He's a pilgrim. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child. She was 90 years old. George? George is our resident 90 year old. George isn't thinking of having children. Neither was Sarah. And she laughed. And God said, What are you laughing about? Oh, I didn't laugh. God caught her. And when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful, who had promised. It took her a moment, though. If God came to you, you're 60 years old, and said, you're going to have a baby, most 60-year-old women would say, "Ah, I'm not so sure about that, God. But she, she got it. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, Abraham, he was 100, And the Scripture says he was as good as dead. And they conceived by faith. We're born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. And he's not just talking about human offspring. He's talking about spiritual offspring. Because we all are heirs of the promise. We all are spiritual offspring of Abraham. That's what's written in God's Word. By faith. And by faith, we are all strangers and pilgrims here on earth. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. And I'm going to read 14. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland, And that truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that you present to us. Help us to embrace it, Lord. Maybe we have never been taught this before. Maybe we have some aversion to it. Whatever it is, Father, I ask that you would help us to embrace the truth. And all of God's people said, Amen. Who are you? You're strangers and pilgrims on the earth. This is not your home. Strangers. You're foreigners. Figuratively, you're aliens. Woo! (laughs) It's a shocker, right? You are aliens to this earth. I'm not going to get all sci-fi on you. Don't, don't, Don't get me wrong. But when you look at the root words, the root word for stranger there implies that you're a guest. You're a guest. You're living here on a visa. For whatever number of years the Lord gives you, you're here as a guest. This isn't your home. Webster defines that word stranger as one who belongs to another country, a guest, a visitor. We're all visitors. Now, That's hard for us to reconcile because, you know, our parents tell us that they remember when we came into this earth that we came by earthly means. So, how are we visitors here? We were born here, right? We'll get to that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20, it's written, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And that gives us another piece of the picture. See, because as ambassadors, we are sent. We are sent. Now, obviously, Paul was writing to the Corinthians, and he's referring to himself and other apostles, saying, we are ambassadors coming to you for God to bring you into his kingdom. Almighty God's permitted each of you who are believers to be ambassadors. And He has permitted you as ambassadors to be here on this earth. He's allowed you to be a stranger to the earth. You ever feel like you don't fit in? Of course you do. When you're a believer, you always feel like you don't fit in. When you're amongst people that aren't believers, even sometimes among people who profess to be believers, I feel like a stranger. And some of them say they don't come any stranger than me. Parents tell the children, don't talk to strangers. And the kids look at me, oh, he looks kind of strange to me. You represent Christ as an ambassador. You are a stranger. You're a pilgrim. You represent God's anointed one, one we call Jesus, Yahshua. The word pilgrim refers to a resident foreigner. So not only are you a foreigner, but you're a resident. You live here. But this isn't your home. It's a temporary place of residence. You're one who comes from a foreign country, a foreign kingdom. You relied... Rely upon God for your sustenance, and you reside among the residents who are here, the other residents, the natives, pilgrims, a stranger, sojourning in a strange place. And I'll get through the slow stuff as quickly as possible, folks. I I ask that you give me grace because I'm tired. Heaven is thought of as our permanent dwelling place. This is a temporary dwelling place, and heaven is the permanent dwelling place. The phrase strangers and pilgrims refers to the fact that this world is not your permanent home. You get that, right? Does anybody not comprehend that this is not your permanent home? This is a layover. This is a stop-off. This is where you are to do the work that God has called for you to do as his children, as his ambassadors, as his temples. You're to bring the life of God to the rest of the world. As visitors, our lives reflect our homeland and our king, or at least they should. We reflect that all to the inhabitants here and to each other, or at least we should. Peter, in his first epistle, he wrote, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. Now notice, he's not just talking of himself. See, when Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he was saying, We are strangers and pilgrims. We come to you as strangers. We come to you as pilgrims. But Peter now, he puts it on everybody. He says, You, as strangers and pilgrims. I beseech you to abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation, conversations, conduct, honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Oh, they might speak evil of you while you're here, but when they get there... They'll have nothing bad to say because your conduct, the way you conduct yourself is like the king and the kingdom that you belong to. Heaven's thought of as a temporary dwelling place for some people, but it's our permanent dwelling place. We've been raised together with Christ into the heavenlies. That's what his word says. We live here by faith in the promises, but we're looking forward to going home. We're not looking forward to stay here. Our object is to get from here back to there and bring as many people with us as possible. Our conversation or our conduct Is our general course of manners. And I fail there sometimes, folks. I have bad manners. I just, that just happens. Don't mean to. My behavior sometimes is not exemplary, especially when I'm tired. Our demeanor, especially regarding morals, these things reflect the heavenly kingdom and our heavenly king. That's what that word conversation means. In Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 and 28, it is written, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, now here's Paul writing to the Philippian church, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit. You stand fast. You don't buckle under the pressures of this life. You don't buckle under the, 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 pre- the peer pressures that come from those people that live on this planet that you're residing among. You stand fast in one spirit. And what's that spirit? Can anybody tell me? The Holy Spirit, yes. There is one spirit. There is one Lord. There is one body. We're all part of it. You stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel and not in any way terrified by your adversaries. Do you hear that? You belong to a heavenly kingdom. You're not terrified by these adversaries. No matter what they do, if God allows it, then it's his will being done for the building of his kingdom. Now, we might get where we feel kind of selfish, like, well, why is this happening to me? If God allows it, it's for the building of His kingdom. You're not terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you, salvation. And that is from God. Do you get that? Your salvation is from Almighty God Himself. He made it possible. In Hebrews chapter 13... We read this, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And there he's quoting Deuteronomy. And then it's written, so we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Quoting Psalm 118.6. The most important thing as followers of Christ that we can recognize, first of all, is that God's Word is true. And we can use it to share with others, to draw them out of the darkness and into the light. We can use it as pilgrims, as sojourners, as strangers on this earth. We can use it to build the faith that we have in the faith that other believers have. We can use it to strengthen the faith of unbelievers and bring them into the kingdom. In 1 Peter chapter 1, we read this, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Conduct, again. Because it's written, Be holy, for I am holy. And he's quoting Leviticus chapter 19 in verse 2 there. See, our conduct reflects... The, king. the conduct of believers is to reflect the kingdom that we belong to, not the things of this world. We don't go along to get along with the rest of the world. We live in a manner that reflects the kingdom that we belong to. You think about somebody that's an ambassador. They have special privileges. And I'm not going to get into all that. But as ambassadors, as strangers, as pilgrims, we have a heavenly host protecting us. We have protection for so long as God wants to bring us here and keep us here on this planet, He will protect us. We're not afraid of the enemy. We live to live for Him because it's His kingdom that we serve. It's not our own. It's not some little church kingdom. And there's so many, unfortunately, that have turned it into that. It's about us living for Him and doing what He wants for us to do because we're strangers here. This isn't our home. Our permanent home is with him. When we really get that, and we can say like so many, this is not my home. I'm just passing through. And as I pass through, I'm going to bring as many people with me as possible to get to that final destination. Let your conduct be without covetousness. In 1 Peter chapter 1, in verses 15 and 16, it's written, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it's written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And I can't stress that enough, folks. We've lost the concept of holiness, largely, in the church. Anything goes. After all, the world says this is the way to be, so we've got to be like the world. No. We belong to a heavenly kingdom. In Second Peter chapter three and verse eleven, it is written, "Seeing them, that then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conversation and godliness, holy conduct, conduct? We choose to live as those who are serving the King of Kings." We choose to live. He was sinless. And may we bring sin into his kingdom? Are we permitted? Are we authorized? God's Word says no. No, we're not under the law. We're under grace. But does grace give us a license to sin? No, it does not. We are called out of the darkness and into the light. And in doing that, we can draw others out of the darkness and draw them into the light. These all died in faith, it's written there in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 13. They died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. It's like you're on a ship and you see the land way out there. You know it's there. You've heard all about it, but you're not quite there yet. That'd be a nice visual to put up there if we had one. There's a land out there. That we're heading to. It's the one we belong to. We can't quite get there yet. But that's where we want to be. And I'm not saying we're fatalists. We don't want to die. We want to live. And we're going to live forever. But while we're here on this side of eternity, we need to be living for Him. We need to be doing what He wants us to do. We need to be His representatives. And in representing Him, we don't represent Him in sin. That's the truth of God's Word. They saw it afar off, but still they embraced the promises, confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. And isn't that what we are? Who are you? Anybody? Strangers! Pilgrims! This isn't our home! This is a visiting we're doing, okay? And I told you, we'll get to how that happened. We're getting there. In Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4, Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. And do you know that's quoted several times in the New Testament texts? Several times. Not once, not twice. And what does God's Word say about multiple witnesses? By the testimony of two or three witnesses, every word is established. This is true. It is absolutely, certainly fact. The just shall live by faith, not by sight. It's not We see the world around us, but our faith takes us beyond this world. We look beyond this temporary world that we live in and any temporary pleasure that we might have in this world, and that doesn't mean we're not allowed to have pleasure. Don't get me wrong. In fact, one place in the Old Testament scriptures tells us God made all these things enjoy them. That's my paraphrase. In John chapter 3, in verse 36, it's written, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. The wrath of God abides on him. In Galatians chapter 2 and verse 16, it tells us we're justified by faith. It's justified, not sinned, because the blood of Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 38 and 39, it is written, and there's a quote there of another uh, passage or two, now the just shall live by faith. but if any, That's Habakkuk 2.4. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. And that's Zephaniah 1.6 and Malachi 1.10 that's being quoted in the writing to the Hebrews. But we're not of those, excuse me, who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. No matter how tough it gets here while you're visiting, You don't draw back into the world. You walk that walk of faith. You walk the walk of faith until you get where your final destination is, that far off, what we see as a far off place, as temples of the living God, as children of Almighty God. We endure the race that's set before us. In 1 John chapter 5, this is what we hear there. He who believes in the Son of God has this witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar. Anybody here want to make God a liar? Not me. Because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his son. And this is the testimony. Pay attention. This is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. Do you want the people that you love to have life? Then tell them about him. Give them the gospel. Tell the people that you love, he came here, he lived, he died, he gave his life so that we could have life. That's part of your job as ambassadors, as strangers and foreigners in this country, in this land that we call earth. Who are you? You're those he brought to life. You see, each one of these messages, the main focus is the text that we've read from initially. And then throughout the messages, I've brought in other ideas of who you are. You are people of faith. You are strangers and pilgrims. You are those who he brought to life. Who am I? I'm blood-bought and paid for. I'm not my own anymore. That's what his word says. You belong to him. If indeed you do belong to him. Who are you? You're those he brought to life. He translated you from death to spiritual life. And that's how you came to be a part of his kingdom. That's how you became a stranger and a foreigner. Now, when somebody came preaching the gospel, and you see evangelists all the time, raise your hand, bow your head, say a prayer, now you're born again. Now you're saved. Do they tell you that you're being translated from this world to the next Do they tell you that you're no longer a part of this world? Do they tell you that you're a stranger and a pilgrim? Do they tell you that you're an ambassador? Do they tell you that you need to take the gospel out there? Do they tell you that you need to be baptizing people? Do they tell you that you're to endure this race until you get to the end? They need to be. They're going to stand before Almighty God, and He's going to call them to account for those souls that He had them bow their heads and raise their hands, who never came into the kingdom. If you want to draw souls out of the darkness, you need to bring them into the light. And the light is the word of Almighty God. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. And all things that were created were created through him. And if you want people to come into that light, you need to bring the light to them. You can't be walking in darkness and expect people to come into the light. That's not the way it works. You're walking in darkness. What happens? You're just walking along with everybody else that's in darkness. And souls aren't saved. There's no born-again experience. The true born-again are those who are translated from this life to the next life and still live here. And that's how it happens. Through Him. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. But whoever doesn't will not see life He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him, whoever. Can anybody say whoever? Whoever. Everybody say it, please. Whoever. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but will have everlasting life. Everlasting life. And that's the difference. You see, the spiritual transformation that takes place takes you from this kingdom, the kingdom of this earth, the kingdom that's ruled by Satan right now, into the kingdom of Almighty God. Now you became an enemy. Not an enemy of God because you already were an enemy of God. Now, no, you're his friend. Now you are a child. Now you are a temple of the living God. Now you are those who are walking this path of life and enduring it. But nobody tells you this part either. Whenever you come to Christ, you become an enemy of the enemy. That's not a recruitment message for bowing your head and raising your hand. Be a lot less hands raised. But he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, it is written, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And like Paul, I could raise my hand on that one. Yep, I was a chief of sinners. How could God use a sinner like me? Because he chose to. And if he chooses to use you, don't resist him. I'm telling you from experience, folks, it hurts. You will get hurt, okay? I'm telling you, that's the truth of it. You run from him, you will get hurt. You don't do what he wants, you will get hurt. You fight with God, he wins, okay? He will beat you up. Don't think for a minute that you're going to get out of doing what he wants you to do. If he calls you to do it, you better be on that path. You better be doing what he wants you to do. Because if you're not, it's going to hurt you. I know. However... Paul goes on writing to this young preacher named Timothy. However, for this reason, I obtained mercy that in me first, Jesus Christ, Yahshua Messiah, might show all long suffering. In other words, he had a lot of work to do. Paul said, he had a work on me. It took some time. And we know by reading the life of Paul that it did take some time as a pattern to those who were going to believe on him for everlasting life. I received mercy, I obtained mercy, that in me first he might show all long-suffering as a pattern. Now, notice he's not giving up on you is what he's telling you. You might be a hard case. Yeah, I fit that category. You might resist. Yeah, I fit that category. But he's long-suffering. His patience, like his mercy, endures forever he's not giving up on you okay? Oh indeed amen. Thank you Lord. In Ephesians chapter 2 it is written, and you he made alive. He made alive. You were dead. You were dead in sin. You were dead in trespasses, and you thought you were alive, but you were dead. And now He has made you alive. You were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world. You belonged to the world, so you did everything the world did. Maybe not everything the world did, but you followed the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience... And there are many sons of disobedience, children of disobedience... The Bible uses male language, but it's not just speaking of men. It's talking about everybody. You were children of disobedience, and the prince of the power of the air still works among those who are children of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he is loved Us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. Get that. You're alive not here, there. You're alive in His kingdom. You are sojourning here. You're traveling through here. You're alive there. And the fact that you don't have some recollection of that happening is unfortunate, but it's a reality. You've been made alive. You were buried in the likeness of his death, and you were raised in the likeness of his resurrection, folks. Anybody who hasn't been baptized, I would highly suggest that you get into the water of baptism. There's a change that occurs. It's not salvation. Salvation occurs by Christ. But anybody who's been baptized can tell you there is a change that takes place. He made you alive, for by grace are you saved, by grace. As we read on in that passage of Scripture, we learn the truth of how we became strangers and pilgrims, foreigners, even though we were born here. God made us alive together with Christ, raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, and that is it. That's when you were changed. That's when you changed from a citizenship of earth to a citizenship in heaven by Christ. In Romans chapter 6, It is written, therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly, certainly, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. now you live your life as a citizen of heaven. You're not caught up in all those things. This is why we praise God when we hear of people who had addictions, who were set free. They once were slaves of that. It's the same thing as sin. See, addiction is like hardcore sin. It's a a revelation of sin. It reveals what sin does to us. It enslaves us. We get stuck. We can't get out. We need external help. God does that. He sets us free. Buried with Him through baptism. Raised in the likeness of His death. There's resurrection, excuse me. In Colossians chapter 2, it is written, "...in him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands." By putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with Him in baptism, in which you also were raised with Him through faith in the working of God, and raised Him who raised Him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He has made alive together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. He took you out of that sin body and put you in the spiritual kingdom. You're new. You're alive. You were newborn, and you were born out of this world into the next, even though your body is still here and you inhabit that body. In Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 7 through 10, it is written that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God. Gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship. He created us. In Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Our works come out of our salvation. They don't bring us salvation. As I wrap this up, I want each of you to understand that your heavenly citizenship was purchased by his sacrifice. He bought and paid for you to be in his kingdom. Our transition From this kingdom in this world to the kingdom of heaven happens quickly. But it takes time for us to get there. It takes time for us to figure it out. There's many that call that sanctification. It's a process. We learn what it means by reading God's Word. There are many places that talk about it, and we're going to look at that next time. Philippians chapter 2 is where it's written, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why would the Word of God tell you to work out your salvation with fear and trembling if it's a done deal the minute you bow your head and raise your hand? Because there's work to do. You need to endure that race that's set before you as a child of God, as the temple of the living God, as those who are seasoning this earth like salt with the gospel that preserves souls. For this is the will of God, it's written in 1 Timothy, chapter 4, in verse 3, this is Is the will of God. Your sanctification. It's God's will. It's God's will that you be sanctified. It's God's will that you be set aside, that you be set apart, that you be taken out of this world and brought to Himself. That is His will. And that is where we're going to pick up next week. I'm not going to belabor that point because I know that's His will for each of you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, aid us in our walk, Lord. Help us to be your people who live in and for your kingdom. Enable us, empower us, lead us, guide us, direct us. Whatever words we can use, Father, we ask that you would empower us to be your kingdom people, that we would recognize fully every step of the way that we are not of this world, but we are of your kingdom. And I pray this in Christ's mighty and majestic name, and all of God's people said, amen. All right, now, um, if you all don't mind, we can receive an offering. Praise the Lord.